Welcome to She Critiques, where we discuss the new, the old, all things cinema. I'm Mercedes, television producer, certified reviewer, and all-around movie buff. So without further ado, let's get into this week's episode. Good morning, good afternoon, good night, whatever time this podcast reaches the sound of your ears. I thank you for joining me for this conversation. It's such a good one. I had the privilege of speaking with casting director, executive producer, director, uh, none other than the legendary Miss Tracy Twinkie Bird um, for the Black Women Film Network 2022 summit we have another summit up summit coming up in 2023 usually around march but this is from march 2022 and miss twinkie bird shares so many gems and drops so much wisdom and knowledge from her 30 plus years of career achievements and highlights and come up so this is the conversation with tracy twinkie bird on her come up and just gems for all around actors and people coming into the entertainment industry enjoy I'm on the board of the Black Women Film Network, and I hope you all are enjoying the summit thus far. For this session, I have with me a woman whose career spans 30 plus years in the entertainment industry, Miss Tracy Twinkie Bird. Twinkie has casted some of our favorite films to include Fruitville Station, Notorious, Sparkle, Stomp the Yard, Southside with You, Jump in the Broom. I can go on and on. Her talent has also expanded to becoming a, a poet, director, author, and now executive producer on Kirk Franklin's A Gospel Christmas. You can find all of her amazing knowledge, expertise, her books on her website at twinkieburn.com. But right now we have the, pre- the privilege of having her here with us. So we need to dig in. Twinkie, welcome to the BWFN 25th anniversary. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm super excited. Well, my first question for you, because I did a little research, of course, but I Googled what it means to be an actor, the definition of an actor. Okay, so I'm going to read the, what Google says an actor is. A person whose profession is acting on stage, in movies, or on television. And I want to know what your definition of an actor is. My definition of an actor is a storyteller, someone who breathes life into story so that you believe it, so much so that they grab you and pull you into the story and make you feel something. Because that definition to me was so, the one on Google was just so compact. And an, an actor is so much oh more. They really they tell the stories. They, they make us feel like we were there whether it's a period piece or, uh, you know, Afrofuturism, like us in the future, they make us feel like we're there and we're going through the challenge with them. We're overcoming with them. The music tells us what to feel, but having that actor, ah, they're everything. So important. Now I know with you, you started with music videos, casting music videos. So how did you get started casting music videos and what was the transition into to film? Okay, well, my brother is also a director and he started out in music videos and PAing, working for Spike Lee. So 
I started, I knew I wanted to cast and I was working in advertising at the time. And my brother said, Jeff Bird, he said, why don't you cast music videos? And I was like, brilliant. Because, you know, jumping into casting at that time, it was not as simple as just saying, I want to do this. Like I want to. So I was interning for the casting directors at the ad agency where I was working at, um, it was called DMBNB. And I interned for them during my lunch hours, plural. And uh, I'll tell you that story later. And so what happened was I took that administrative, because I was an administrative assistant at the ad agency. And I took my administrative, you know, uh, all of my administrative gifts and everything that I learned technically and I took that into casting and I started casting music videos. I assisted a casting director uh, one time, once in Sinclair. And once I saw it, I knew I, I can do this. First of all, administratively, I can do this. But the other thing is that I realized I had a gift. Like I can feel inside of me the people that were right for the job. You know, I could feel it. So that then led me to putting out my own thing, coming up with my own card, business card. I came up with my own, my first business card. I had to autograph it in order for it to be done. So I had casting by, and then I had to autograph it in the center, and then my number was at the bottom. <laughs> so whenever I'd give somebody a card, I'd be like, hey, let me, you know. So and it started a conversation with people, and people were just like, well, what is it you're doing? I said, I'm giving you my autograph. So I... That's how I started. I started in music video and I started casting like beautiful young women and young men in scenes where we would improv. It's like, you're a guy that's in love with that girl, but she doesn't know you're in love with her. She's over there at the coffee shop. You're trying to talk to her. You've been watching her from afar and action. And you just watch them just kind of move around. You set up a little table and chair over here and, and over there and she's pretending to drink coffee or tea or whatever. And he's doing his thing. And then you put on a little bit of music and you visualize the scene, you know, and that what really, that's how it all got started. And then I moved to Los Angeles in 1997 and tried to get a job at a casting assistant with all of my favorite casting directors, black casting directors specifically. And they just kind of laughed in my face because they thought music videos was not casting. They were like, that's not casting. It's just getting, you know, people for a party scene and whatever else. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I worked for Forrest Whitaker and Brett Ratner and Tim Story and F. Gary Gray, like all of these directors that are doing their thing. And that's where they started. They started a music video. And we were, in my opinion, not just in my opinion, in Ralph McDaniel's opinion too, Video Music Box, we were telling short films to music. That's what it was, films to music. That's really what it was. We were working out things in music video. Those directors and, and DPs, they were working out how to light our skin, how to make our women look beautiful, how to make us glow, how to um, uh, uh, light up the, uh, our eyes. I don't know if you've ever watched music videos from back in the 90s, the 80s and 90s. You see in like Missy's eyes or Mary J. Blige's eyes, you see this little star. And that was kind of like the first ring light. And every R&B artist and rapper, I remember back in the day, they were like, can you do that thing where the star is in my eyes? They didn't even know. It wasn't a term for it. But it was a beauty light and it would leave this 
pretty little star in your eyes. So yeah, that's how it started. And the music videos were short films and music. What you touched on too, as far as the transition from music videos to film, how people can kind of pigeonhole you. And this is a selfish question because I've done, I have a roster of reality television, but trying to get into the film world and they look at reality like, uh, you ain't, uh, you know? And even with actors too, who are in commercials and they want to do film or television actors who want to do film, it seems like that transition is so hard to do. So how did you do that? What you do is do it. I don't know how else to describe that. So I wanted to do film, so I did shorts. I was called to do a, a short film from a director and I said to her, I wanna do more of this. Like I wanna do short films. And she said, so do them. You should do more short films. So I started doing research on the schools and the colleges, the you know USC, Chapman, AFI, uh, LA Film School, who is doing great quality short films that I can cast because I wanted to get into film and, and television. I started out with Moesha um, in 98. So I was a casting assistant there uh, briefly, but they're still my family today. Like I work with Cheryl Lee Ralph all the time and her kids, I watched them grow up and now they're adults. And so I started out there, but I wanted to get into cinema and get into film. And I started doing short films. So the thing about it is when you're, first of all, the, there's no line anymore. That's one of the things that once you change your mindset, everything else follows. If you work a lot commercially and you want to work more theatrically, then you're going to have to make those sacrifices in those moments to shoot a short film, to be a part of filmmakers who are directing and shooting shorts. And those short films can literally change your life. They win awards, they go all over the world. Speaking of uh, short films that win awards, can we talk about... <laughs> oh my God, The Counter 1960. They, they sat down so we could stand up. That short film was created in Richard Lawson's class. Uh, Richard Lawson's actually his course, a PDP course, which is Professional Development Program. And I took a 16 week course with, I was the oldest person in the course. At the time I was 49 years old and there were nothing but young people around me. They were doing vines and doing all kinds of stuff on their phones. And I'm sitting there trying to learn and I had to learn how to edit on this sucker. I had to learn how to audition and use the microphone. I had to learn all of these things and um, and each every other week we had to do a three minute short, three minutes or less to showcase what we've learned and how we've learned it. And they were watching my stories and I was watching theirs. I was so inspired by them. And I was excited to learn that they were inspired by me in some way. And Ashley Jackson, who was also in the class, in the um, course, she is um, Reverend Jesse Jackson's youngest daughter. She said, I want to work with you for my short film. And I said, great, I have an idea. And she said, what? And I said, I want to do the story of the A&T4. And she was like, okay. I was like, okay, let me figure out how I can make this a little bit more exciting. And um, I slept on it, had a dream, called her a couple days later and said, I have an idea. Tell me what you think. And she said, what? And I said, you guys are present day 
sitting at the lunch counter and you go back in time to relive the lunch counter sitting. She was like, oh, I like that. So we show the present and it's the same spot. And then we go back to the past with the same cast and you all relive literally what your ancestors went through and what they did for us and how they broke those barriers that were created by barbarians. She said, I'm in. So she wrote the parts for the college students, the young parts. I wrote the parts for the parents and we collaborated and put it all together and we shot it as a short for class. So we took like uh, about six or eight months to raise money and we raised 5,000. I put in 3,000 and we shot it. And so we shot it. We shot it in my home and then on CSUN's campus, Cal State Northridge campus. And it went around the world. It went to Jaipur, India. I started putting it out there and submitting it to film festivals. We got into Pan-African Film Festival, had a standing ovation. Martha's Vineyard Film Festival had a standing ovation. First of all, the standing ovation in Martha's Vineyard, that one left me speechless because there were SNCC members in the audience. Um, and then I was on stage at the International Black Film Festival in Nashville. I was on stage with the gentleman who, in my short, you will see me using clips from Eyes on the Prize. So the gentleman who was literally hit over the head in Eyes on the Prize with a, with a shake, he was sitting to my right. That's the perfect story of like, when you honor your ancestors, your ancestors will honor you. Yes, yes, gratitude. I see it all in your face. And I just, I, I just hope we're making them proud because we, I don't know, man, some of us, we have gotten so complacent and have lost all the fight and fury. We have just become so comfortable and it's just so sad because they fought so hard with their bodies and their minds. Just the brilliance that comes from having to dress a certain way, just to walk across a bridge and make sure, okay, wear this layer and this layer and this layer to make sure that the dogs don't bite you deep or that the batons don't hurt you and break a bone. Like, we took a right turn though. Yeah, why is yeah. it important for you? I know we've spoken before about, I was actually going to uh, start something here because I got a little bell and I was going to say, anytime we hear Twinkie say research, I'm a, I'm going to ring this bell. <laughs> I am about that research though. So, but why is it so important for you to research, study, learn? Why is that important to you? It's not important to everybody. Why is it important to you? Because I want to get it right. I want, to, I want you to have the truth as much as I can convey, as much as I can bring forth. I want you to understand what we have been through and how far we have to go. Understand what, your, what the charge is. Understand what your assignment is. My question is, do we really understand our assignment? Because they passed it down to us and we have to then go through it create change and pass it down to the next generation. Have we done that? Have we understood the assignment? And are we doing the research? Do we know whose shoulders we even stand on and what it was that they did at a time when they literally come to your house and pull you out of bed and beat you to death, Emmett Till, just for something that was an absolute lie. And, and 
So I, I want us to be clear and also be activated and do the research when we're sitting next to them, when we're in their presence, we know who they are. We have something to actually say. We can listen and, and, and just, just every gem that drops out of their mouth, like just get it. I want everybody who's watching this now too, if you have not already, get your notebook, get your pen. We're speaking to someone with 30 plus years of, of experience, of longevity. Get your notebook and get your pen for these next couple questions out coming out as well. When we talk about an aesthetic or in a look, do you fall, do you submit to casting for a look? Because there is an audience who wants to see it. Um, and how do you how do you maneuver that space? When you're casting for film and television, when I'm casting, let me speak for myself, I am casting for a character or a role and a type for that that's bringing forth that truth through their work, through their eyes, through their reading comprehension, through their research. So I'm bringing that forth. You're not just going to sashay in there in costume and think I'm going to get the part because I'm looking the most like Sparkle. You said it, y'all. <laughs> research. Research. Okay. <laughs> also, no. You're known as the diamond finder. With so much success now, how are you still having your ear to the streets, so to speak? Thankfully, I have I have some of the most amazing friends out there. So they always put me up on stuff. They will tag me in on people's situations on social media. So there's a lot of excavating now on social media. Like I will look through. So some people will just be like, wow, here I am. I'm fabulous. I'm this and I'm that. And I'm looking at them and I'm like, mm, yeah, you're too much into your fabulosity and not into the work. And then I will, somebody will tag me in and send me, somebody that I trust will tag me in and be like, Twink, what do you think it is? It's not like an actor sent it to me thinking that I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready. It's a person that I trust. And they're like, this, this looks like something you might be interested in. And I check it out and I'm like, ooh, okay. All right. I see truth and performance there. I see something behind the eyes. I see actual character work. What did you see in Anjanu? You casted her in the Clark Sisters. What was it that, I mean, we see, we all see it now, uh, but Twinkie might have thought first. <laughs> first of all, I'm going to give you a gem. Anjanu Ellis plays the crackhead in Notorious. Yeah, we, we made a special call and she was there shooting the taking of Pelham 123. And she was playing the wife of Denzel Washington in that film. And uh, his character in taking of Pelham, which was the remake of the um, original and she said yes, and she came in and gave us a day and did that. But I have loved Anjanu Ellis and her work whew, for so long. So I am not surprised that she's nominated for an Oscar. I am incredibly, and, and incredibly excited and happy for her. I'm just like, y'all thought this was Oscar worthy? Did you see Hippolyta? Like, did you see? So what are you seeing? What do you think that you're seeing in the people like Omari Hardwick or Liza Alonzo and Notori Narlton who you you were seeing the sparkle before the world saw the sparkle? Not if no pun intended, because you did Jordan on Sparkle too. But go ahead. That's right. Jordan on Sparkle too. I tell you, I yes, all the sparkle. And got Carmen Jogo to pop for a lot of people. Sometimes I may not discover them, but I may be a part of their pop. 
Like people were like, who was that woman that played sister? Who was that? I'm like, Carmody Jogo, she's the truth. Y'all should have been paying attention. She's the truth. Um, Jordan, Jordan had a thing. So when you watch Irene Cara in the original Sparkle and you realize that she was this demure kind of, you know, just like, <sighs> she was, she's educated, of course, but not in the ways of, of being a woman. She's kind of a little, you know, a little naive in those ways and girlish. And she's going through a metamorphosis and coming into her own and coming of age. Literally, I caught Jordan at that exact same spot. Jordan was at that exact same spot as Sparkle. Coming into her own and coming of age and, you know, doing her first kiss on camera with Derek Luke. Like, she's like, okay, how, how am I going to navigate this kissing thing? <laughs> it was so cute that it literally worked with Sparkle as she was Omari. Oh my gosh. Omari's first job, literally when he got off the plane, he, sell, he tells the story all the time. Omari got off the plane and I knew his friend and I was always casting like music videos and I was casting a J.O. Felony music video and he just got off the plane, needed some money. And I was like, I'm paying a hundred bucks, bring your friend. And he was, he was uh, an extra, he was background in a music video. And then he did background in a music video for a sister named Cherokee. I just kept casting him and casting him and he got into class and I told him he reminded me of Michael Beach so much and michael beach at that time was on a show where he was an um an ambulance he was on a show about him working i cannot remember what the name of that show was but it was in new york and it was about the fire department police department ambulance department and then omari ended up getting his first series regular doing the exact same thing as michael beach he he goes in like first of all this is a man who does spoken word poetry he loves to read and when he's reading, he really goes in. He, he has, he's reading and then he has a thesaurus and dictionary and he's going in for the words and then he's looking for what's between the lines. And then he's looking for who's speaking, uh, who is he speaking to and what is he speaking, what is he really talking about? And it, did this come from hurt or is this coming from love? And how is, and, and he asks all the questions like Laz, they ask all the questions of where's this coming from? How do I feel about this? They And they ask all the questions of the character and then they bring all of those things forth. And when you look, when I have the camera on them and I start zooming in and I get all up in here in these eyes, oh, they tell a story. They're telling that you see the wheels turning like, you know, they're talking to their girlfriend or their fiance or mama and you see it all, the love, and I'm so confused, and I need this. And my Let's talk about that, because even to be able to access those emotions as a person, because, so that means that some people can do that. Everybody can do it, but some people are delivering it, and some people aren't, right? How do you even get to a space where you can start accessing those nooks and crannies of emotions and men, I think it's even, it might be even harder for men to do because they don't even like all those warm and fuzzy feelings sometimes. So how do you even talk to an actor to get to that place of like, I got to dig and... Firstly, I'm going to say this, and I know I'm going to need to say it twice. It's more of a challenge for women than it is for men lately. Women are more masculine than men. Mm -hmm. You know what? <laughs> 
women are having a problem accessing their feelings and emotions in real life and in film and television and their acting life. I'm just being honest. I, I'll never forget. I was in class. I was in class with, um, I love her dearly, with uh, Brandy, who is the series regular. She's the lead on P-Valley right now. And she did a scene and and she did a great scene, put it up and everything. And and in the scene, I believe her husband was cheating on her and and she had this whole wall up, went through the whole scene, no tears, no nothing, just started badgering him with words and hitting him. Da, da, da. And I said, okay, and scene, how do you feel? Well, I think he should do that, da, 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 and I think he should have did this. And I think, and I said, none of those things are feelings. How do you feel? Start with, I feel, and then answer the question. How do you feel? Accessing. Her eyes were like this. Accessing. Accessing. How do accessing, accessing, like it took 30 seconds. She was just, I mean, I, I think that he should, I said, nope, nope, not anything. Oh. It took her a minute to get to her feeling. And when she started to say how she felt, her voice changed, her body language changed, her eyes shifted. And then she got all into how she felt. And then I said, action. Now do the scene, do the scene again. Completely different scene after that. Completely different. Because it's about how you feel, not what you think. And don't nobody get nothing else from this conversation. Because that's the gem right there. Did y'all hear the wisdom just now ooze out Miss Twinkie's mouth? Yeah. Oh, that was a master right class there. right there. 30 seconds of a master class. Ooh, I hope that ain't go over nobody's head, Twinkie. I'm serious right there. That is a... I don't know, but let me tell you something. When Tasha Smith, because that's my dear friend, Tasha Smith, she entrusts me with her class from time to time, and I come in, or at least I used to pre-COVID, I used to go in, and I would work them from a casting director's point of view, because I'm not trying to be Tasha. Tasha is gifted in this. She has a gift. I mean, if you've seen Andre Day, Andre Day in uh, United States versus Billy... That was Tasha Smith. So she does what she does. But I go in and I do what I do. I love what she did with the, the BMF leader, the, the man who plays his, his son, Little Beach. Yeah. That boy, Tasha, put him into shape quick. Yes, she does. She digs in. She's so good at it. She's just, it's, she's gifted in so many things. Um, but, uh, for me, I go in and I'm like, I understand everything that Tasha's taught you. I've read The Power of the Actor. I understand that book. And I understand she also teaches you from the Black point of view. So, you know, you can go in some other people's classes and they teach you from their point of view. And in their mind's eye, you are the assistant. You are the girl next door. You are the secretary. You are the, and from Tasha's point of view, you are the boss. You are the leading man. You're the leading woman. You are, you own the business. You, you know, she shifts the African-American and the African point of view because she also teaches in South Africa. She shifts our point of view to where we really should be. Global leaders, global thinkers, you know, global doctors and lawyers and professionals. She shifts that mindset and she takes that, that teaching and turns it around and she gets you ready for a P-Valley. 
She gets you ready to lead a whole cast of people. She gets you ready for a scene where you have to literally go in and access your emotions. And sometimes it's ugly. Like I will get up in people's face. Sometimes it's ugly. And I will remind them. I'm like, remember that thing you told me about that time with you and your mom? And they're like, which thing? I said, you know that thing. Remember what happened? That's your substitution. Use that. And action. And you know, that's when. So that's, I can say that. So when the men do it, it's like, Laz, Omari, I mean, they, they just have it. They have it because they're not afraid. It doesn't touch their masculinity at all. They're not afraid. It's part of it. Vulnerability is part of their masculinity. Like, and a lot of, for a lot of artists, once you cross over and become an artist, once you cross over and literally become a visionary, you, you're not concerned about how other people perceive you as long as they see the truth in your character. That makes me feel like it's almost like coming to a casting director that you should have done that work. Right. Yeah. To your point of you, when I show up in front of Miss Twinkie Bird or Robbie Reed, my work should have been done. I came right. here now right. to, to show you what I can do, you know. That's right. That's so right. let me ask you this. What, what do you think is the biggest misconception then when it comes to your title as a casting director? People come to you and they throw all these different things at you. And, and I know you. this should have been done already. So what do you think is the biggest misconception when it comes to that title of casting director? Uh, the, I find, okay, what is the biggest misconception is that I, well, there are a lot of misconceptions. People think that I don't like them. If I don't cast them, then I don't like them. That's not even a part of, I mean, even if you are unlikable, I, I do my best. <laughs> you know, some people can really be unlikable. I might not like you, but you know, I feel really that people cast themselves, but the other misconception I feel like is, um, is that, you know, oh, it's such a mess. Sometimes they think that I'm there to coach them. I coach as much as I possibly can, but I can't, you know, I give you like a good 10 minutes of my time and that's kind of how much you get when we're in the room. When now that we're virtual, you can take however many takes you need to take and send me the best ones. That is, that's amazing. Um, I, I've noticed that people think they can yell their way into acting. And I'm like, all the yelling in the world doesn't have any intention behind it. So they just want to yell and scream and throw stuff like a 90s video. I'm going to yell and then I'm going to throw this bass and then I'm going to yell some more. And then, you know, and I'm like, like, what are you angry about? And where did that come from? And give me the whole backstory. And so, you know, or they think that they can do a recreation on, on Instagram and, you know, draw the fire emojis and girl, you did that. And I was like, no, actually, Angela Bassett did that. And you just recreated all the work that she created. Yeah. And so when it comes to, because I feel like walking into an audition room, I've never done it before, but walking into an audition room, I would imagine is very nerve wracking. People are coming in with a lot of nervous energy. What can, what can you do with the nervous energy then? If I'm coming in anxious and tight and nervous. Of course, I'm not going to give a good performance. What do you, what would you, 
That's unfortunate. That's, I mean, you just got to have to keep doing it until you're no longer nervous and anxious. It's like the first time you started driving. Nervous, anxious, hands, 10, 2, look through the mirror. Look through the mirror again. Look over your shoulder. You know, back up, pull out, put your blinker on, all of those things. And after a couple of years, you get in the car, turn on the music, roll out. That's because you're no longer white knuckling. You know, you're no longer doing so. The more that you do it, the more that you're prepared. I had um, an actress come in and tell me, and I love her dearly, she was having challenges with how she looks. And I said, you're absolutely beautiful. And she was like, you got all these button nose black girls up in here. And here I come with my nose. And I said, I love your nose. What's wrong with your nose? And you're amazing. And you can sing and you can dance and you can act. And you should be doing all three. Um, now she directs. She, um, she's amazing. But I, I think sometimes we get into our own heads about what's going on in the hallway. I remember I wanted to create a short film about the hallway because that's usually where the waiting area is. You've set up chairs in the hallway or at least in the old days before Zoom and all of the, you know, online accoutrement that uh, that's where people would be. And they would come and look at each other and stare at each other and look at themselves and just beat themselves up and just, get a psych themselves out in the hallway. And I'm like, this is your time right now. I'm about to give you like 10 minutes to showcase all the stuff you've been doing in class for like the last three months, six months. Come on, let's do this thing. Put on your headphones and your meditative music, whatever it is that you need. Go over your sides, look at your notes. If your sides are clean, I'm concerned. When I see clean sides, I'm like, oh, this isn't going to be good. Okay. And action. Like I'm sitting there. There's no notes on the sides. No notes. No, not the, not the church mama's way. Not the church mama's way. I get ready. I'm like the. Yeah. <laughs> sorry for the screen. I'm sorry. I need to see notes. I need to see. I need to see all different kinds of pen marks. I need to see highlights. I need to, because that means you actually did the work. And if you don't understand what that means, what it is that I'm saying, that means you're not in class with a really good teacher. I've heard so many times actors saying, you know, it's a tough business. You hear no all the time. You can't, unless you, you got to get used to hearing no all the time. So tell me, when is it, it, you don't think, No. You're not hearing no. You're hearing I made another choice. Yeah. That's what you're hearing. I made another choice. So you do that every day. McDonald's don't get mad you went to Burger King. Like you do it every day. So it's just making other choices. Someday the choice is going to be you. Someday the choice is going to be someone else. But your job, what happens is in here, you think that every time you walk into the room, you're supposed to get what you get for. Instead of keeping a journal and learning and writing down, what did I actually get from today? What lesson did I learn today? What did I actually get from that meeting? What did I actually learn? Like I learn something new every time I walk into Twinkie's office or Kim's office or 
Ruben's office. Like you learn something new every time you walk in an office, you get a different adjustment. He or she said something different. She said this, she said, okay, that was great. Now let's do this and tweak it this way. And what do you think about that? And you didn't even think about that before. And you're like, oh, that's, so instead of you looking at, oh, that was bad. I did a bad thing. It's like, no, I was just given another layer to then use. That's great. Like you're supposed to be getting lessons. It's like every time you, every time you tried to walk and you fell down, you didn't stay down. You tried again with a different way. Let me put my, my energy. Okay. Let me hold my core. Let me figure out how to move my leg a little bit straighter and let me work on this footing. Like that's life. It's literal life. I don't get every job that I apply for as a, as a CD. I don't get every, I don't sell every project that I pitch as an EP. I, and I don't take on every client that wants me to direct their short film or, or their, their scene. Things you you want things to speak to you, and you want to be just as discerning, just as discerning about what you are lending your time to, to which is the most valuable currency. More valuable than money is time. So you want to be discerning about the use of your time. And if all of these things go over your head, you're obviously not spending enough time with yourself. Not enough quiet time. Things are always on in the background. Something's always happening. You're not spending enough quiet time. Quiet time is so incredibly important. Wow. Long answer. That was beautifully said. When it comes to you just mentioned as being an executive producer now, how has being a casting director um, helped you in this executive producer role? Do you still use some of those tools? Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes, I do. Because it helps me to read people. It helps me to, um, yeah, it really does. Casting really helps you read people. It helps you hear people in a different way. Like they're saying one thing, but their body language and their actions are doing a completely different thing. And you just sit back and go, Ooh, I understand. <laughs> and you really understand. So it does help. It helps you to negotiate between people and what it is that they're doing. What I hear you saying is, but what you're showcasing is this. Do you know you're showcasing that? Like it helps you solve problems. It helps me. Um, it, they help when I have to choose the cast after the casting director brings people to me as an EP. And I want to look at what story they're telling and how they're telling the story and watching it now as an EP, as opposed to a casting director is like, wow. Watching actors on set take over the set and be mindful and be prepared. Watching actors come to the set unprepared. They're so busy socializing. I had an actor who was on set with us, went away to lunch, was online during lunch, doing his own like show while he was at lunch from us like 45 minutes he's having his own show on I'm like, how are you going to have the energy for what it is that you're here for if you can never be still and be quiet if you can never you're always on all the time then of course you know you catch those cat naps in between 
text. And I'm like, mm-hmm. That's because you was out there acting a fool at lunch on Instagram. <laughs> right. When you're supposed to be crying in the next day, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So tell me, what do you think, if you could say, this scene from whichever actor that is acting at its finest, if you could choose any actor in one scene that you would just, ooh, that was some, ooh. I know it's so many, and I know they're going through your head right now, but I want to hear just one. That if you could put it in a time capsule and send it to Mars and tell the aliens, this is what acting is. Oh, what? Tell the aliens. That's so funny. And we're the aliens to them, right? Yeah. Um, wow. Anything Denzel. Anything Denzel. Like, Denzel's so good that you forget Denzel is acting. I think everything Malcolm X, when he did Malcolm X, Malcolm X was amazing. Um, Ruben Hurricane Carter. Those were two of my favorites with him. Um, Will Smith's scene in Pursuit of Happiness in the bathroom with his son. Having to sleep in the bathroom and, uh, you know, pretend that that was okay and it was a hiding place. But really, all of the things that were going through his mind of not having a home and sleeping in a public bathroom with tissue all over the floor with his son pretending that there were monsters outside and all of that, that's just, it takes my breath away. It takes my breath away. I want to know what you, because we're honoring our 25 years and 25 years of legacy of Black women in film, what do you want your legacy to be, Twinkie? I, I really, I want my legacy to be um, a legacy of love and respect for art, for artists, for actors, for um, for our art, for our stories, more importantly, for our stories, and to be one of the people who encouraged and inspired inspired our people through either my work, what I have cast, what I've directed, what I've produced, inspired us to sit up a little straighter and to roll our shoulders back and to know who it is that we truly are and whose shoulders we truly stand on and how amazing we are and to help us to uncover our truth because none of none of what we were taught is true. None of it in this American trash education system. None of it is true. We started everything. We began everything. We are everything, every single thing. And the more we excavate and the more we understand it and the more we get in our spirit, the more we will do, the better we will become. And I just want to encourage that. That's what I want my legacy to be, to continue to encourage it and grow. Because I know we are everything and they know it too. Thank you. I'm going to shoot you these questions. These are rapid fire questions. You can only answer with one word though. That's the thing. You can only give me one word. One word answers. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. We ready? Let's get it started. Ready? How should I prepare for an audition? Reading. Research. Sorry. That was two words. What are casting directors looking for? 
Truth and performance. What is the number one rule of auditioning for a film? Be prepared. Be on time. Be early. <laughs> to be early is to be on time. How about that? 30 years plus in the industry, Twinkie. Um, what do you attribute your longevity to? That's not rapid fire. What do I attribute my longevity to? I relationships. Uh, I'm thankful, and I continue to learn, continue to grow, to continue to be open to education. And I really love my research. Like I will put things together in a way that people are like, "What?" I just I love doing it, and then giving. I give. I am literally right now working for a director, Tembi Banks. I am working for a director whose short film <clears throat> I cast her first short film, her her written piece, Only Light. That was her writing debut, her thesis. I am working for her now. I am her casting director of this Cardi B movie, Assisted Living. So she's the director and I am working for her. So, you know, it, it goes like it's a dance. I cast for her while she was in college, and now she's asking for me to be her casting director in in Hollywood and in the real world. So I'm super excited about that. But if I didn't give and donate my time for, I mean, pennies, if I didn't do that, I never would have met her. And she probably would have been off with some white casting director somewhere instead of hiring this sister. So give. Lord, right there, Twinkie. We didn't. We didn't have time to even get into the story of you getting coffee on the set of uh, the Cosby Show. We didn't even have time to get into where you start. But I want that is a big piggyback because I'm sitting here with Twinkie Bird right now, ladies and gentlemen. And that is because I serve on BWFN yeah. for free. I volunteer. You wouldn't believe some of the amazing women I can. I have the privilege of sitting across on because I've given up my time to just say I want to elevate this platform for nothing. So on that note, thank you everyone for joining this session. I know you got something out of it. Thank you, Miss Tracy Twinkie Bird. You can find all of this amazing, there's so much knowledge and books and gifts that she's given us right now on TwinkieBird.com. So make sure you check her out. Thank you for joining the BWF in 2022 Summit. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of She Critiques. I'm your host, Mercedes. You can find me on all platforms at Chic Critiques. That's C-H-I-C-C-R-I-T-I-Q-U-E-S. And we look forward to the engagement and all the feedback. Take care.